You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, we I strangely have a reduced cast this week. Um, I am really surprised that this movie, uh, we've had several people say they were going to be on and drop out, and uh, but you know. That smaller means that we all get to say more. So (laughs) hopefully we'll bring the quality for you. Uh, But let's meet our caster this week. So starting off, he is the guy that absolutely loves comics. He still has Thanos on his couch. And that is my buddy, Eric. How are you doing, Eric? I am recovering from uh, allergies and it's super fun. So I'm going to try to mute myself if I ever feel a cough coming on. So... Hopefully it doesn't affect me too much, but uh, I'm here. I exist. <laughs> and depending on when this one uh, comes out, there are new strips coming very soon, which is exciting. And they're directly related to uh, to uh, a certain uh, mad god of Titan and his ego. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it is, I'm certainly glad, Eric, that you are fighting off your... Uh your your uh, your allergies to to be on the show today always good to be here my friend so anything new and exciting going on for you nope okay <laughs> i had to think i'm like nope yeah we nope. were busy i mean you got your you got your job and you're working on your strip so i mean like that's plenty to keep somebody busy so i totally get that um but uh, yeah it's good to have you back on the show always good to be here <laughs> All right, and next up, you know her as one of the big Star Wars fans. He's willing to go back and read the obscure stuff from the late 70s and talk about them on Legendary Forces, and that is Ashley. How are you doing, Ashley? Good. Thank you for having me. It's um, always interesting to talk about something a little bit different than Star Wars, although still takes place in space, so still in my wheelhouse. Yeah, no, that's true. Um it's 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 a little bit of a, of of a different uh, kind of uh, you know look at space than Star Wars. I think. Yes. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It's good to you know have you on talking about something else. Um, so, anything new and exciting going on for you? Well, um, I recently adopted a, a second cat, and it's not going very well. So, just word of warning to people, like. I love both my kitties, but apparently there's a whole very in-depth process to get cats to be friends. So we're, we currently are in the midst of a kitty cold war in the house. So (laughs) it's probably the most delicate way to put it. Yeah. We were actually told when we adopted our cat that we were like, you know, they, they asked us like, do you have cats? And we were like, no. And they were like, yeah, like this cat cannot be with other cats. (laughs) Like don't do, don't do that. And then she, I mean, like with our dog, even with our dog, she like dominates him. And he's like a 40, 50 pound dog. 
and it's like she dominates the dog and i'm just i find it hilarious because i used to see it was like watching a cartoon i would like be reading or something and the dog would run by me and then the cat would run by <laughs> me and the cat was chasing the dog and i was like how like you're so much bigger than she is how is this happening <laughs> it's so funny so uh yeah i definitely don't recommend the method of letting two cats in the room and just letting the introduction <laughs> go however it will go so yeah but <laughs> we're we're pressing forward so all right well very cool I, I hope everything goes smoothly with that and uh it's good to have you back on the show ashley thanks i'm glad to be back and so joining us is a voice you haven't heard in a while he is someone that i met at dragon con and we both love to talk and that is will how are you doing will i'm doing great and uh that is such a true retelling of our story that's right <laughs> so uh since it has especially since it has been so long since you've been on the show like how how are things uh, anything new and exciting going on for you um transitioning out of public education but nothing new hmm <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like um, you, uh, you're a librarian, right? I was, I'm moving out of public education altogether there for multiple, multiple reasons. And okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, so what, what are you doing or what are you transitioning to? I'm still doing uh, online education uh, oh, for, okay. you know, and stuff like that, but I'm just doing more remote work. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that is, uh, you know, that's interesting and everything, because like, yeah, you still uh, get to connect with, uh, you know, with young people and, you know, help them to learn stuff. So that's really yep. cool. Working with both mostly adults now, thankfully. So. Oh, OK. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yep. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, but yeah, it's good to have you back on the show. Well, great to be here. And it's a great movie to talk about. All right. And so normally we'd have our five minute controversy here, but um, because I thought we were going to actually have one more person, I did not come up with a controversy because we have four people. We end up talking about the controversy for far too long, uh, but that's fine because that just gives us more time to talk about Guardians. Um, and so we will get to that as soon as we pause for a promo for another fine podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Shock from the Go-Go's, fabulous drummer of the Go-Go's. Hi, this is Tony Levin of King Crimson. Hi, this is David Fisher for the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Hi, this is Richard Evans. I am the author of Listening to the Music the Machines Make. Hi, this is Teresa Kariakis, punk rock photographer. Hi, I'm Tom Bojour, author of Nothing But a Good Time, and you are listening to Modern Musicology. Modern Musicology. Modern Musicology. You're listening to Modern Musicology, so, you know, Pay attention, you might learn something. And we're back. And like we mentioned at the top of the show, we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, but since everyone on this crew is new to talking about that for this show, um, I do want to ask everybody first, uh, just for very brief, just a few sentences, your thoughts about Guardians 1 and 2 before we start talking about Volume 3. So uh, let's start off by going with you, Ashley. Well, I absolutely adore the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It is 
up there, definitely in my top three of Marvel movies that have come out so far. And I just have really fond memories of going to see it in the theaters. Absolutely love it. Was the second one quite as good? No, but sometimes I think it gets a little more criticism than maybe it deserves because it's still a very fun movie. Love seeing those characters all together. So, and liked seeing all these characters in Endgame and Infinity War. So yeah, I think they're definitely one of the strongest and brightest parts of the MCU. Okay, Will? I love the first one. Uh, I would agree it's in my top three, maybe my, my favorite Marvel film uh second one i still love it uh, i want to love the soundtrack you know of course that's you know all something all together on its own and i love the yondu plot i thought that was a great handling of his character uh yeah love them both okay eric who would think in a uh mcu or actually like any any pop culture thing you could be like Hey, Kurt Russell and Kevin Bacon, they're both in the same uh, the same uh, pop culture universe. But no, um, I obviously love the franchise as a whole. That's right. I basically just talked about the holiday special. But uh, no, I, I like it as a whole. And it's definitely, definitely the strongest of the MCU properties, easily, in my opinion. I know a lot of people say the second one is weak, but I do not agree. Especially because he is Mary Poppins, y'all. Okay. <laughs> David Hasselhoff was in it, so you know. <laughs> Makes it better. Makes it better. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So let's talk about Guardians Volume Three. So uh high level again before we like dive into like, you know, the ins and outs of it. Um, let's start with you on this one, Eric. How did this film get a PG thirteen rating? Because this it gets dark at moments, and it's like it's like I'm just surprised. It's dark, but there's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing like too gory, and there's not like a lot of like language. So I mean, that's why it gets a PG-13, I think. But yeah, no, it's just looking at it as a whole. You kind of like step back for a second. And you go, how? How did James Gunn pull that off? But no, it's um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like it feels very mature to a certain extent because i mean obviously a lot of the uh the a lot of the topics uh handled throughout the film are mature and i mean rocket's origins while modified are actually like surprisingly faithful to the source material with with nods and characters even if they're like heavily modified and it's it's surprising to to see that i mean you get lila in there and you get you get um get his origins and it's it's great and you know you get bill mantlo and uh and keith given i'm sure are are and would be proud you got i kind of hope uh with you know the stuff that uh that james gunn has done for uh, john ostrander and making sure he got paid i kind of hope he did that for uh for keith too i don't know if keith's one of those guys who would want that but kind of hope with all, everything james gunn has done for the other creators like starlin and ostrander that that he did that for Keith Giffen too, I kind of hopes, but overall, it's actually probably my my favorite of the trilogy now. Um, I mean, it's very much Rocket's story, and it's very much James Gunn going, here's how I've matured as both a filmmaker and a writer, and it shines throughout. I mean, you got a bunch... You, the, the best way I can describe the Guardians is it is your close friend group, you know, like, like, relating parallel to to 
us overall as people you know like it's that group of friends that you have that like do anything for each other but will begrudge and give each other crap while doing the things for each other and it's you know it's like your own your own homegrown family the people that you choose to keep close to you and it's kind of kind of fun to see to see that played with in uh superhero cosmic level uh level uh film all right ashley all right well unfortunately i'm gonna have to bring us down a little bit because i must say that this is actually my least favorite of the trilogy um i have been struggling with this movie a bit since I saw it and still trying to work through my thoughts and how I feel about it overall, which is generally not how it usually goes with a Marvel movie. A lot of times I also like to go back to the theater to see it again. I have not seen this one. And I think because just in the end, it felt uneven to me. There's some really good parts. Uh, Rocket and his story, I felt like was the heart of the movie. That's what spoke the most to me with that emotional through line and just digging deeper into his trauma and giving him a full arc and allowing him to overcome those burdens that were weighing him down and allowing him to find some peace. I felt like that was really powerful, but the movie overall didn't always nail the tone. And sometimes the story felt a little bit unfocused and meandering, at least to me. And then just thinking about the film as a whole, this is the final film in a trilogy. And I don't know that I feel completely satisfied, like the way I thought like after walking out of seeing the final Lord of the Rings movie, like Return of the King, there's some sad stuff. There's some bittersweet, but I felt fulfilled as a fan in this. I don't know that this gave me the sorts of feelings of completion and just satisfaction that I was hoping to see as a fan. So looking forward to discussing it more and maybe hearing from some people who loved it more than I did will help bring me around to change my mind. But yeah, I'm still not like fully loving this movie as I expected to. Okay, Will? Um, I actually loved it. I don't think it's my favorite of the three. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't put them in. I haven't tried to rank them yet. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I understand the Ashley's feelings about it not feeling complete because I really didn't think it tried try to tie itself all the way up because uh, I think there's an open ending to for certain characters and a closing for others. And so that's how I came across with it was, okay, so th- this person's leaving, we know this, this person's leaving, we know this. And the ending kind of gave it that room to do that without just shutting the door on characters. You know, I honestly thought it would have been a cheaper way out to kill a few people. I thought they were going to, I'm glad they didn't go that route. And that they didn't in, end up just, you know, let's just wipe this person out because we know they're not coming back or something like that. But the film itself, I thought, was well balanced when it came to touching and I, I love his use of, I, I'm not making fun of what Eric said, but I love the way he's used for some maturity and James Gunn together. And it had its immature moments. I love that. I love the fact that it would bounce back and him being his silly self and, you know, getting the F-bomb in when he did. I thought that was great. So I, I, I enjoyed the movie for what it was. I haven't decided where I where it's on my, you know, pantheon of Guardians films yet. All right. And yeah, so um, my opinion is much closer to Ashley's. Um, When I saw the movie, my impression was this was the first draft that was never rewritten. Uh, It, you know, Gunn has very famously said he wrote it all in one and like then never look back on it. And I think that that was a bad choice. Personally, it feels like he did knowing that this was his last movie with the Guardians. Uh, like try to cram everything in and I felt like that that didn't work that's be sort of speaking to the meandering that Ashley was talking about he's also mentioned that he felt pressured to put Adam Warlock into it which my god that is the worst Adam Warlock that we could have possibly had like that was that was a horrible adaptation of the character 
And I get that he felt pressured to put him in. Because originally when it was the tag at the end of Guardians, well, the original script for Infinity War had Adam Warlock in it. And so that was supposed to be a tease for the fact that he was going to show up in Infinity War. And then it was sort of like, oh, well, crap, they cut him out of Infinity War. Well, we need to pay that off somehow. And that's why he kind of got burdened with putting him into Guardians 3. So that at least I understand. That's studio interference. So that had nothing to do uh, with him uh, per se on that. I feel like there's a casual brutality to this film uh, that I didn't really appreciate in a way that doesn't serve the plot. And in fact, in some ways works counter to the plot because we have this whole lovely scene where we say, oh, Drax, you're not meant to be a fighter. You're meant to be a father. After we just saw him pummel a child, hurting this child in an earlier scene, you know, and it's just like, no. No, this is a person who should not be allowed near children because he doesn't even understand that he could hurt them seriously, you know? And it's just like, so that's sort of what you're supposed to feel good in that moment. Oh, Drax. Oh, it's so lovely. He's a dad. And it's like, oh, my, but you just showed him being casually brutal to this child and not even getting it when Peter's like, dude, what are you doing? And so, like, I... I feel like there's a lot in here that it's just like Gunn just wanted to do things that were shocking, but don't actually serve the plot. Plus, you need Suicide Squad. I mean, right. <laughs> right. He didn't have an editor for that one either. I mean, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, and I've heard a lot of people praising the High Evolutionary, and I think that the performance was fantastic, but the High Evolutionary himself was the most one dimensional villain that we've had in Marvel. Like, he didn't, like, there was no real good justification for any of it. You know, it's like, I want to create the perfect society and uh, not, and we never even get to the point where we show, because I was like, okay, this is going to build to somebody, like, explaining to him, the reason your societies don't work is because you are violent and corrupt. And so everything you create is violent and corrupt. But we never even get there. We never even get to a point where we come to that realization of what's going on there and why why this is a bad thing and it's just that he, he gets to like sort of rant a few times and then he gets killed almost casually and it's just like that felt very anticlimactic to me um and we say another thing that doesn't work well with the plot for me is that we say oh this is rocket's story all the time except rocket's barely in the freaking movie <laughs> it's like he's my favorite character and it's like we get like two flashbacks of like 20 minutes at the back end of the movie with rocket and it's kind of like okay like, I get that there's some emotional, like, stuff there, and that is the best written stuff in the movie, but it's like, you almost cut the character out of the movie, and so I don't, I just had, I had real problems, I thought a lot of things didn't work with it, I thought it didn't gel very well, and it did sort of feel to me like it needed, like, another pass or two on the script. Um, so, yeah, now that I front-loaded it... <laughs> don't worry, Let's Ashley, I gave, you, I gave you covering <laughs> fire, Ashley. Thank you. It's always scary doing something like this because I feel like the the buzz has been more positive. So it always hates right. to be that one person who's like, well, I didn't love it, but <laughs> right. I enjoy talking like conversations like this where people feel so differently about things because I think that leads to better discussion and more back and forth. And again, like I'm welcome to having my mind changed as well. Yeah. And I do want to say, you know, like, like this is completely different from my feelings for the first two movies, because in the first two movies, I didn't like the rampant buffoonery. And in this movie, I didn't really feel like they had that. I do feel like some of the humor is kind of out of place when it is 
you know, the tone that the movie is. But I didn't feel like there was a lot of, like, there was actually very little humor in this movie. Um, so, like, you know, that's, that's like, that's not the problem that I have. It's so weird for me that I've switched from, you know, the rampant buffoonery being the more problem. More rampant buffoonery. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. We need <laughs> more. More. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> This this felt really weird to me. I think my positive feeling comes from the fact that the bad taste left in my mouth in the last couple of Marvel films. That mm. this looks like an absolute gem compared to Thor, Love and Thunder, and Quantumania. <laughs> I mean, it, fair it, point. I'm just saying it. I it, it's the closest we've gotten to. I guess the Spider, you know, our last Spider-Man film, and you're going, wow. Is that is is that what we're looking for now? Is you know it has to be this or it's or it's down here. And so this is one of those. It falls in the middle for me. It's not one of the greatest you know Marvel films of all time lately or anything like that. But I still just enjoyed a good Marvel movie compared to the the last two experiences in, in the theater. It's wait, going. you skipped over Wakanda Forever. What do you think about Wakanda? Forever? I know I love Wakanda. I'll, okay, okay. I'll, I'll get. But it was okay. I'll, let me say this about Wakanda. Wakanda was such its own story. Mm. That it did not feel like it, it it tied in much to anything else in the MCU, so it's really easy to go, oh, that really isn't part of this phase. It didn't mm. even feel like it was tied into it. Now, I'll give Guardians credit that it did not touch the multiverse except for a little bit with with Gamora, and thank you. I mean, mm. I, it would have felt out of place. Even though I agree with you with uh, our villain, it would have been nice to see maybe Kang, you know, tie it in to go. This is why you need to work on your you know your future and make everything better. Mm-hmm. That he somehow mm-hmm. ended that. I mean, they had no. It felt like it was not tied into the, the Marvel properties at all. Right yeah, now, so. yeah. And, and and to be fair, this was originally supposed to be the first Phase Four movie. You know, now it's in Phase right. Five. But if Disney oh. had never fired James Gunn originally in the order, this would have been the next movie after a Spider-Man Home, not Homecoming. Um, the second Far Spider-Man. Home. Yeah, Far From Home. This would have yeah, been the Far- next movie after Spider-Man Far From Home, and in that. Oh wow! And so yeah, that would have you know it been a COVID lot more. Del- Delayed this, the firing delayed. I mean, everything right. missed. This, right. This was originally scheduled for May of 2020. So, like, right. you know, wow. it would have been like complete. Yeah. So I get that the no Kang thing and everything, because, like, yeah, like, gun was not. In fact, right. the, the fact that it rejiggled in the order, though, at least allowed them to fix the Thor thing, because gun was like, no, I was never going to use Thor in in my guardians movie even if it had gone right after Avengers Endgame. So the fact that they did love and thunder at least allowed them to like write out Thor from the Guardians beforehand. So and so in one way that worked out. But um but yeah no I agree with you um Will that like this felt better to me than Love and Thunder or I was gonna say Multiverse of Madness was right, the other multi- one. I mean I'm saying yeah. all of them. well yeah, yeah so. but but I see I like Quantumania uh better than this personally but that's a <laughs> that's a whole other thing we're not gonna get into but like <laughs> Um, and definitely Wakanda Forever. Uh, I liked better. Oh, than definitely. This. I mean, <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> um, but all right, all right. So let's let's get back. Let's talk about some specifics here. Um, uh, let's talk about Warlock a little bit. And and again, I'm not sure if everybody's familiar with him from comics and everything. Uh, I am curious if anyone's going to disagree with me about the use of Warlock in this movie and whether you felt it worked. Because um, I felt like he could have easily been cut from the movie and not changed a single thing, and that, and that, then learning that it was studio interference, like kind of like explained it to me. But, um, but um, Eric, like, what do you, how do you feel about Warlock in this movie? I wouldn't say it was necessarily studio interference, unless James himself had said that. Yeah, he I'm said that. Sure it was just that was an, that was an interview thing that's been posted this week. 
He well, said he was that... pressured by the studio to include Warlock. I guess at the end of the day, my biggest issue there is then why the hell would you tease him in volume two? Because originally Warlock was going to be in Infinity War. Like he was in the script for Infinity War and then they <laughs> later cut him from the script, but they had already done the tease in Guardians. And a double down and blame Zeb Wells. Okay. Okay. He's already in enough heat with Spider-Man, but I know he's one of the MCU writers, so I'm going to blame Zeb Wells. Uh, okay. So overall, I mean, I I under, I under completely 100% understand it from a comic book fan standpoint. And obviously, if they had introduced Will Poulter, uh, that's how you say his last name, right? The actor? Will that's Poulter? how I pronounce I mean, I don't know if that's correct, but yeah, that's how I'd pronounce it. Um, that's how I've always heard like it. I, I completely understand where you know everybody's viewpoint is where it's like um and i'm pretty sure the dude with how he was already chewing scenery in the small scenes that we saw him in as you know basically an in infantile version of of adam you know being birthed out way too way too soon from what he should have been but i'm sure he could easily and i'm sure we will see it down the line of him easily nailing comic book warlock and chewing up scenery as you know almost the shakespearean level that we all know that warlock is as a comic book character but i and i guess i i will begrudgingly agree with your point that he could easily be cut out of the film but i enjoyed i enjoyed the performance overall and i understood the the no prize of hey he got he got brought out of the out of the cocoon way too early and that's why he's basically a giant eight-year-old or like six-year-old you know basically right yeah basically overgrown child giant yeah. child yeah and i mean it worked for the and it works for the performance that will gives i'm just <laughs> excuse me sorry um i'm more excited to see his performances down the line now that we have have him established and we can see him as like the future cape cape wearing you know Almost like I said, Shakespearean version down the line, but for what he was in this film, I thought I thought it was I thought it was fun. It's definitely not comic book warlock, but I thought it was fun. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, no, Devil's Advocate. Sorry, <laughs> I I agree with you. He can I think that whole subplot could have been taken out with the yeah the princess the sovereign and yeah. the sovereign excuse me sovereign the sovereign me I. Mean, I it, to me, it didn't make any sense narratively that they had a boss, because would you not have seen the High Evolutionary in Guardians Two, if he was in charge of this society and they'd done some major wrong to this? Her being, I think it just really messed up Guardians Two for me and how that society works, because she's out doing all the dirty work in this movie in which they were sending drones, they had hired the Ravagers. I mean, you, we could name the steps they went. So I really thought that that whole brought that that villain down. A stage and really made it kind of silly as far as will poulter i wouldn't have cast him as adam warlock but at the same time i thought he was fine and what he had to do with it i thought it was entertaining but the only thing you know memorable about him is the you know the adam touch in space is the only memorable part i think he serves mm. in the whole story so yeah Right, and you could have come up with another MacGuffin to get Peter inside the airlock and everything you didn't. I agree, like, that is the only, like, plot purpose he really serves, but then it's like, but they could have come up with a million other reasons why, you know, they could get Peter right. in at the end. So that's why I feel like he could have been cut out. Um, 
Ashley, I know you, I know that you're probably not familiar with the character from the comics, but how do you feel about the the character uh, and how what he added to the movie? Yeah, so I'm actually more with Eric on this one. I didn't mind his character. Um, it, I thought it was fun not having any familiarity with the character. I thought it was kind of humorous, again, that he's brought out of um, the cocoon a little bit too early and he's not fully formed, but... Um, I liked getting to see him join in with the Guardians, and I enjoyed the little subplot with his animal sidekick, especially since one of the predominant themes of the movie was animal cruelty mm-hmm. and, you know, showing him show some kindness to this little creature they didn't necessarily have to. I thought that was a nice touch. And yeah, I thought it was fun. And again, like this to me was an introduction. He's not fully formed here, but assuming the next time we see him. He'll be more like a fully formed member of the Guardians, and I think it will be cool to see him and his uh, powers going forward. So, yeah, I I didn't mind him in the film and would like to see him again. I uh, I am fat, kind of fascinated by this because I'm pretty much assuming that we're not going to see, like, the Guardians again or at any point. Because I don't think they're going to want to do the Guardians without Gun, and Gun mm-hmm. is not going to be free to do more Guardian stuff. I feel like that thing with at the end where they showed, like, the new team, quote-unquote, was just a tease and it's not actually Fan going service. to lead anywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now, I could be completely wrong about that, but, yeah, I think what we've seen is what we're going to get. Mm-hmm uh with these characters but uh you know maybe i think maybe i'm wrong but i mean for adam warlock specifically though with no more infinity stones there's no purpose for his character anymore like i i completely like like adam's whole like thing his whole reason for being in comics after they finally figured out what to do with him um is to that he's the guy that manages the infinity stones he's the one that makes sure that they're not you know used incorrectly and he's the one that tries to protect you know things and whatnot it's kind of like yeah if you missed out on infinity war i really wish gun hadn't included him because i'm like there's no there's no point for his existence anymore and i don't think he's going to add anything you you need to choose do you want warlock or do you want the century and so because they're they're, they could be essentially the same in in the way marvel is trying to use them right now in the marvel universe so yeah, I uh Wait, did you just say the century? Because that's still we don't know that that's happening. Well, no, I wasn't. I'm saying the fact that the way they made Warlock's character without the Infinity Stones, you you need to pick. You don't need both of these super, super being unbelievably powerful super beings. Oh, I you. OK. No, I thought I heard you say the century. That's why like we still that's still 100 percent a rumor. That's why I was confused. Yeah. Uh, but no, what I was going to, sorry, Nate, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think what's I my working theory right now is similar to how I think that we're getting that weird champions, new Avengers, uh, young Avengers hybrid team some point in the near future with all the younger heroes being introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think we're going to get a version of the guardians and the infinity watch kind of like a hybrid team because you got pip you got pip and uh and uh uh star fox hanging out um mm-hmm. and obviously they're they're going to be showing back up in the future you got warlock right here you got Agamora. i mean and you got some of the guardians i mean one of the new guardians is literally Phy- uh phyla um you know and that's another captain marvel right there so it's like that little girl is phyla <laughs> Kyla Vell, you know, another one of the Captain Marvels. It's like, okay, that's now four Marvels. 
you got the three right. in the Marvel film, and now you got a fourth one. So it's like, okay, so you got all these characters kind of at play. So it's all right. Two things to remember, though. One, Disney is saying that they're going to start slowing down the rate of release of Marvel things, so we're going to get less per year than we've been getting. Two, these actors age. So it's like, you know, how long are we going to have Patton Oswalt playing Pip, you know, and, you know, various things like but he's that. A full, Who knows? So He's like, a full CGI construct, though. Right, you know, no, like he's a voice character. Yeah, right. No, I, I Plus, get that. Plus Patton's not like, going to leave a role unless Marvel's like, get out. All right. All right. But the point is this. I think like people like do these pie in the sky predictions, but it's like you have to look at the practicalities of production also and the things that uh, Young Avengers, I'm completely convinced. Yes, because they're laying all the groundwork for that. I am sure we are going to see a Young Avengers in like 2026. Like I'm I'm confident they're going to announce that either 2026, 2027. Um, but, you know, but yeah, I I I mean, Infinity Watch doesn't even serve a purpose because there are no more Infinity Stones in the MCU, but like... Like a hybrid. But but yeah, no, like some sort of space-based team. Honestly, I'm expecting more likely because they've got all the rights back from Fox that we'd see Star Jammers before we see yeah, anything I think the Star else Jammers are coming, yeah. yeah. I would I be so happy. Yeah, I, I feel like that's probably like the next thing that they're going to do um, with like a space-based... I mean, other than the Silver Surfer, I mean, we might have a Silver Surfer uh movie also um, yes, please. come up yeah yes, so please. like those are the sort of the space slash those are so long down the line i mean if you think about what you're talking about those are so down well, the line well again i'm talking i'm talking like maybe 2026 2027 when we start seeing right. some of that stuff yeah at least several years um but plus anyway we know the plus we know the also you know cosmic stuff that richard Ryder and uh sam i always forget his name the younger nova that that project is very much in the works like pre-production but like so we got the Nova Rumored, project out yeah. there too. So rumors. Well, pre pre, it's like pre pre production. It's not right. even like sources yeah. say, but we had no actual quotes from a real person. So I mean, again, yeah, he's not came out on stage. It, we are definitely getting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are definitely getting the 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 you know cosmic book news, and we got this covered.com oh, telling us. No, uh, <laughs> don't. You're talking about a James James Gum project. Never mentioned cosmic book news. I'm not. I'm talking about, I'm talking about. No, because James Gunn is on DC. No, James Gunn isn't doing anything at Marvel. No, but I'm saying like Cosmic Book News and James Gunn. They they leak. The reason we never bring up Cosmic Book News is they they're the ones that decided. Oh yeah, let's leak James Gunn's phone number. Oh okay. Well anyway. Yeah. So they got themselves blacklisted and should never be trusted as a reliable source in the first place. No, I know. That's why I'm saying <laughs> he's making the, the joke. The, the Nova oh, stuff okay, okay. is like still uh -huh. rumor stage. Is what I'm saying. Like it's not confirmed uh, by anyone at Marvel. Um, but yeah. Anyway. So uh, Warlock though, I did want to say this. So, for those familiar with the character and the character's origins, his first two appearances were in Fantastic Four and Thor. And he was a very different character in the comics also, where he was more like this sort of savage, superhuman sort of character that later, because he meets the High Evolutionary, actually becomes his, you know, sort of final form, what we think of as Adam Warlock now, uh, which was a later development with the character, where they transformed a character who was known only as him, you know, because he was this like superhuman that AIM created um, and and became Adam Warlock. And that was the name the High Evolutionary gave him. 
So obviously all that's out. Um, and so I will say this, the fact that he is a very different character from Warlock in the comics, and this is his first appearance, does kind of make a kind of sense. But again, because the MCU has to truncate time so much, I feel like, why would you even do that, not even knowing that there's going to be anything more with the character? Why wouldn't you start with the more recognizable Adam Warlock and not and not do all this? But, you know whatever he doesn't have he shouldn't have energy blasts out of his hands either and that really annoyed me because i'm like that's a common power that so many people have like why would you do that to adam of all people you know and just turn him into a generic character when he can be so much more but um but yeah so that's my sort of two cents on adam warlock part of it is because i know the comics but part of it is just like i feel like he's just completely extraneous to the plot in this although i do like your point ashley i hadn't thought about the fact about the the friendship with the animal um and which i think is just there to show us that he's a redeemable character because like there is so much casual brutality in this movie and to have him like sort of like take a you know an interest in this thing and be like no this is my pet and i'm gonna take care of it and all that is a you know was a way of showing that he's you know different um uh so yeah let's talk about um peter quill because he is the one character we know will appear again. Um, I suspect Secret Wars. Uh, I expect we're going to see a lot of people in Secret Wars. Um, but, you know, we are told at the end of the movie that Star-Lord will return. Um, so, uh, yeah, so what do you think about his arc in this, Will? Um, I found it interesting. I'm, I'm very glad that it, they did go the sappy, easy-to-go route with him and Gamora, and that just that naturally being there. I'm glad they didn't do that. I love the joke about Nebula. I thought that was hilarious. I thought that was a well-played bit of humor. Um, I think we actually saw Peter Grogue a bit, and then wanting wanting to go and you know spend time with his grandfather, reconnect to his roots. Kind of the criticisms he gives out to others in you know, Volume Two and all that that he's going to go back to Earth, face his fears. I like mm-hmm. the little tie-ins, of course, to the the Christmas special. That was fun. Um, but as far as Peter going on, I honestly thought of all the storylines wrapped up, his was the most wrapped up, and that seeing more Star Lord wasn't really all that necessary. I mean, I, I I was thinking, you know, Mantis has got a great, you know, there's some great stuff going on there. I mean, I know why they're doing it. I mean, let's you know, character driven. But I thought nice little wrap up. I just had a very good Return of the Jedi feel at the end of this before we got to the cutscene. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Chris Pratt was kind of like, hey, you know. For my cold hand dance, like Chris Hemsworth. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas some of the other actors have sort of been agitating and talking about how they're happy to no longer do another Marvel movie. Um, but yeah, Chris Pratt has not been saying that. So. No, Chris Pratt's <laughs> been keeping the company line while Zoe Zadana and Dave Bautista have both right. just come out and said, over my dead body will I ever be in another Marvel film? I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. So again, he's a character that they can continue to use. And of course, Chris Pratt is still fairly hot, even though, you know, in some circles he's become, you know, less, you know, people are kind of kind of going after him, but just about every star in Hollywood, somebody's going after right now. So, you know, but yeah, he's still fairly hot. Right. He still has good buzzes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and especially with, you know, when you lose like, you know, uh, Chris Evans and you lose Robert Downey Jr. And it's, you start looking around, like who's like the big name left at Marvel, you know, like Chris Pratt's kind of like, 
like drifting close to the top there. So yeah, yep. Uh, I think it makes perfect sense from that standpoint why Marvel. Oh yeah, wants no, to do it more. makes sense. I just thought storyline wise, I mean, yeah. his seemed the most tie up. That's that's all. Ooh, right? Saying. No, no, I agree with you though. Yeah, like this felt like I th- probably when Gunn was writing it, not knowing like what deals actors would make, he was probably thinking of it as this is the end for Peter Quill. Like this is right. the end of his story. So he comes full circle. He goes back to Earth and goes back to his family. Um, yep. All right, uh, Ashley, uh, what do you think about um, Peter in this? Yeah, I thought it was nicely handled as well. And I really appreciated seeing the depth of Peter's friendship with Rocket because in the first two movies, they're kind of like picking at each other. Mm-hmm. And but then just the sheer emotion, like saying like, this is one of my best friends um, or Drax maybe thinks he's Peter's best friend who it's up for debate, but um, it was nice seeing like his dedication and friendship with rocket. And yeah, I was as much as it hurt seeing that relationship with Gamora them part ways. I think it was appropriate just because this is a different Gamora and you can't just recreate something that you had in the past. So just his ability to accept like these happy memories that he had with her and the special feeling, but not try to just like make it happen again when obviously this isn't going to be a natural thing. So I felt like that was some good closure for him. Also really glad he returned back to earth and was able to connect with his grandfather and guardians is all about family ties, whether it's um, blood relatives or found family. So it was nice to see him come full circle with that. I do think there's room for some more uh, character development with him just because the movie did end on a very bittersweet note with him, like saying goodbye to the Guardians, saying goodbye to his relationship with Gamora. So it might be nice to see him one more time, just kind of in a good place in life. Like he's found himself. He's he's not struggling as much as he used to be. So it would be kind of nice to maybe put the cap on that character but yeah so i would i would like to see him maybe one more time just to see what the character is up to and kind of him finding a place post guardians and wherever he decides to go in his life next you said putting the cap on the character and i just imagined him in the captain america costume. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what the the multiverse is out there so right. who, who knows what, what will what happen if, what if peter quill was captain yeah, america just like, so chris you know who can keep track of all these chrises anyway so <laughs> all right eric what do you think about um star lord in this i think um i think Pratt, uh, Pratt did a great job with uh, with um, Peter overall. It's still after after reading that story about oh, I'm sorry, who was the second choice? The guy that plays uh, Dennis on uh, on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The second I read read that, I'm like, wait, uh, those would have been very different Guardians movies and actually a lot closer to the Annihilation era of uh, of the comics because that version of Peter was very much a soldier facing post-traumatic stress disorder and just done with everything around him and he's very self-loathing hated the world depressed and i mean we get a tiny bit of that in the peter at the beginning you know because peter's spiraling because he lost the love of his life and i mean i thought pratt did a fantastic job tackling that and obviously the only thing that sobered him up was oh my best friend is dying i need to help save his life nothing else matters right now it's like 
yeah, that would sober somebody up real quick. But it's like I said, it's just interesting to see the uh, the what ifs and like reveals around like the press material. And it's just like, oh, that would have been interesting. It's a very different what if scenario. But like I said, Pratt was actually given like a little more than, oh, let's have him act like a goofy idiot. In this, it's more, oh, I'm depressed. I'm, you know, I've, I'm drunk. But at the same time, it's like, oh, my best friend's life is in danger. I gotta, I gotta cut the crap and I gotta save my best friend. And it's, it was really kind of cool to see him go through that journey and then realize, oh, you know, time to face my past. I've been running from it way too much. And I thought like, it's really interesting to finally see more than just, oh, Peter Quill. Uh, nobody knows who Star Lord is. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's fun to kind of see. It, it's interesting, not fun. Excuse me. It's interesting to kind of see that. The, what happens when the rug is pulled out and, you know, you get like a little more of the serious side of things, even though we did obviously see a tiny bit of that in volume two. But I thought here it was more like, OK, we're actually seeing Peter be Peter be this serious, not not full on serious, but Peter being like this protect best friend, protect everybody around me and then finally face my past. And it's like I said, it's kind of cool to see that new era of progression for uh, Pratt as an actor overall. Yeah, um, I will say this. If there was one thing that I would have told you before seeing this movie that I was 100% sure was going to happen was that at the end of this movie, Peter and Gamora would be back together. And I am 100% glad that they did not go that route. You know, I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, it's going to be a thing. And he's going to convince her like, you know, hey, we had a good thing and you just don't know it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he would do his pelvic sorcery again and she would be all like, oh, Peter, you're the top of my life. And I was like, oh, this is going to be really cringy and kind of hard to watch just like the first one was. But uh <laughs> I know, I know a lot of people that work for you, but like, I just was just like, this is the dumbest line. These are the dumbest lines I've ever heard uh, with the first movie and the whole like, she's supposed to be the most dangerous woman in the galaxy, but she just swoons when this like, you know, eight year old, you know, guy that's mentally eight years old is just like, you know, doing all this stuff. And I was just like, oh God, this hurts, hurts me for Gamora and hurts me for Star-Lord. But, um, but yeah, no, it didn't happen. And I was just like, oh my God, this is this is great like you know like yes don't do this and show that you know it's like yeah like that happened under a very particular set of circumstances that was extremely unlikely and you just can't make it happen again and it's just like fantastic in fact i was actually kind of like going like actually be kind of cool and he if nebula and if he and nebula like hooked up in this but it's kind of like it's a little too much probably to do like right on top of each other as he fails to get in you know together with gamora and then he and nebula like get together but um, I was kind of like, I was kind of digging that when it was just kind of like the whole, like, why are you looking at me? <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. I was watching this, like, am I shipping Star-Lord Nebula? I think yeah. I am. How do I feel about are. this? <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, like, doesn't work for, like, you know, the characters, like, in the comics, but, like, works, like, you know, I think for the characters as they're depicted in these movies. And it would have been, like... But yeah, like not not right on top of everything else going on in this. Like, yeah, and, and again, so I, I, it just I feel, to show how much on screen chemistry this cast had. Right. Yeah. No, you and I would agree this. with that. I would agree with that. You I, know. I mean, the only the only thing that you know, we'll get onto it later, but it's just it, the, this the cast chemistry led to all this. Like you said, shipping these characters together because they 
all could have been just the best of friends hanging out, mm-hmm. you know, because they seemed that way. They they responded that way when Gunn was fine. You know, it, it really led to all this. So. Yeah. 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 And um, I was fairly sure, although I wouldn't have staked odds on this, I was pretty sure that Peter was going to die at the end of the movie. Um, and I kind of almost feel, I know some of you guys said that you, you were glad he didn't, I almost kind of feel like I would have liked that just slightly better. Again, not knowing that they want to use him again in some ways. Like, if this is going to be the last Star-Lord movie, I kind of like the idea of him, like, you know, sort of coming to an end, you know, and actually literally coming to an end. But, like, he survives in the spirit. He's, like, imbued into these other people, like, who will never forget, you know, like, end it with them listening to his music or whatever. And, you know, like, it's like, you know, like, the the legacy of Star-Lord continues, even though he as a character died. Um, and, you know, I would have found that you know, kind of satisfying, you know, as an ending. Um, I was a little disappointed, actually, that nobody died. <laughs> Because I was like, all right, if you don't kill Peter, like with the stakes and everything in this, like somebody should have died. <laughs> I don't know who, but somebody. Um, I thought Rocket was gone for sure. I I, th- I thought yeah. they might, but I was like, I was like, you know, like I I really feel like they they're gonna want this to be like some sort of Rocket triumphant at the end, and so like, but I did think that was a possibility definitely as I was watching the movie. Um, and so, yeah, like one of the things that I've been kind of having a problem with lately is mega happy endings, uh, which is things where it's like absolutely nothing bad at the end of the movie. Like everybody like moves forward. Nothing bad happens to anybody. And I'm like, it happened in Quantumania. It happened in this. And I'm just like, I'm I just like, can we do it down? Especially when we know this isn't the end point of a story. Like there's more stuff going to happen. Can we just have a downbeat in the middle? Because like Empire Strikes Back proved downbeats mm. in the middle work. I thought we you had know? that with Guardians 2 though. I mean. Oh, I mean, Yondu, did you really care? <laughs> I didn't know yes. that. Oh, see, like I. <laughs> Yondu. He was such a redneck that I was like, okay, it's fine. He's gone. <laughs> that hurts nathan that hurts that why you've been validated maybe you really want to ever get used ever again (laughs) he's just out to get the internet to hate him (laughs) i i i I did not feel anything for yondu i'm sorry (laughs) at all um but uh but and that's part of the problem these characters are such jokes that it is hard for me to feel for them. Whereas in this movie, which was played more seriously, I feel like a death would have had like a little more resonance. Um, because yeah, when it's, they're just silly, like little nothing characters, it's kind of like, but I don't think they've been treated that way since infinity war. Or, I mean, or even in guardians too, that the yeah, other were jokes, but I thought they've given them a lot, big tonal shift. Uh, you know, I, I thought they've actually handled that well. No, no. See, I think one and two, like, they're mostly just jokes, like, and I never yeah. really felt much for any of these guys. Rocket is the one. Rocket is the dramatic character in this team, and he's been a dramatic character since day one. And I like Rocket, um, but, like, I, well, and to a lesser extent, Groot, um, even though he is a joke because of the fact he just says, I am Groot, but they treat him more dramatically than a lot of the other characters. So I like Rocket and Groot quite a bit, and the rest of them I've never really cared about that much. Um so you know and it's that's just one of the problems that i have with this because it's like it's so silly like the guardians movies the first two movies were so silly that it was just like hard for me to take any of it seriously um i think you watched a different volume two than the majority of us <laughs> okay. super undone cut i mean it's hard it's hard to like call a character serious when he goes with the line will said i'm mary poppins y'all 
you know, and it's just like, okay. I think it's a, no, but if it's taken, but you're, okay, you take it out of context, yes, but if you add it to the, he just got told by the kid who he considers his son that this is one of one, uh, a cool character. That's Yeah, it's one of the that, Earth's greatest the heroes. Yeah. No, it changes no, I, the tone of that line. Yeah, it's funny, but at the same time, it's also touching. Yeah. All right. And then you I mean, I, I, I get that we feel differently about it. I, I, I'm not <laughs> trying to convince you. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't feel anything for those characters. I mean, it's it's weird. It's weird hearing you call call volume two goofy when literally a key plot point is that Peter's evil father gave his mother her cancer. That is one of the few dramatic scenes in the movie. Just saying. That is one of the few dramatic scenes. But yeah, but you can't say that the whole two and a half hours was like that. That was a dramatic scene in an otherwise silly movie. (laughs) Listen, I cannot cannot in good conscience even try to to defend the Christmas special from being goofy. But I, I just can't take that, take that with volume two. I'm not saying it wasn't, wasn't, didn't have plenty of funny moments and funny moments of, of dialogue but i don't i wouldn't go oh volume two is a very goofy movie i would never say that about guardians volume two wow. if i'm gonna say something and nathan you have a right to your opinion you know i, I disagree with you to have fun i mean and, you know, right. this is all it's in, 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 fun right. but with guardians i would say that these are the most comic book films that we get yes with the pow the kabangs the booms it is it is the campiest it is it's james gunn i mean he i mean if you, slither you name his other words He's very he, he camps it up, and I think he did a really good job with that. And so right. he t- took a care. Uh, the thing that impressed me the most, and this is this is where we get into other storylines, is that he took a, a comic book that is not well known outside of you know Marvel fans and comic mm-hmm. book fans, and made them super popular. No, I, mean, I, really I agree, I agree, but they are also the least. No, no, like let me finish. Let me. Book. I'm saying I think though James hit the bottom of what people will take. We can't, there's not more, I don't know how much more silly we can go in comic books, how much more deep dive. And I'll, I'll make that my final rant later, but I just think we're hitting the bottom of what people will tolerate out of comic book movies right now. So. Yeah, and I agree that he doesn't go to the levels that Thor Love and Thunder did, which no, I think, or I think was even was even a higher level of rampant buffoonery than, than the any of the Guardians movies did, um, yes. which was kind of a, yeah, which was, which was, which was very hard to take. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, Gunn is not my style. And I get it. You're saying like, this is a James Gunn movie and I get it. Like, I didn't like the Suicide Squad either. Like, I don't, I don't like his movies. Like, that's, that's just the way it is. And I'm worried about Superman Legacy because of that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, well, as a producer... As a producer, I'm not sure that that because that's a different hat, right? And so, like, he's going to pro- he's going to pick directors and writers. I to... thought he was directing the. I thought he was well, directing he's going to direct directing. the Superman, but he's right. not directing everything that they're. He's in no, charge no, no, of no. the slate, but he's only directing. So, so I'm just saying, like, he, he could be great right. at picking directors and writers for various projects, and that will be fine. But yes, I am worried about the Superman movie just because I haven't liked this stuff historically. Uh, he said that it's going to be a different tone, that he's going to do things differently than he has in the past. So I'm definitely going to give him like um, benefit of the doubt on that. But yeah, I am. I am a little worried about uh, about Superman Legacy for me. Uh, but I'm I'm sure it's going to be something that everybody else loves because everybody else does love most of his stuff. So I am um, not a big fan of all his work, but I've enjoyed his Guardians work. So yeah, yeah. I thought no. Suicide Squad was way overdone. So it's yeah. 
No, oh, okay. All right. So yeah, because everybody else I've heard talk about the Suicide Squad are all like, oh my God, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's lovely. You know, and yeah, I was not, I was not a fan of it. I did watch it just to see what they're doing, you know, with the characters. But, um, but anyway, um, yeah, uh, I will say though, to your one point though, that like, yes, even though he did take a comic that was very obscure and make it like a household name that, you know, a lot of people love, like he has taken more liberties with the characters that oh, I yeah. think any of the other Marvel directors have done overall. Like there might be an individual character they've done this to, but like or. other than Rocket <laughs> and Groot, none of these characters are like their comic book counterparts. No. Like, you know, like those are the closest to the comics. <laughs> Trust me, nobody wanted to see the Celestial Don uh, Madonna version of Mantis. Thank you very much. Oh, I would have, but you know, really, <laughs> I definitely really? would have preferred Jackson Gamora or Jackson Gamora more like, and and Peter oh. as more like their comic oh, no. book selves. I could... <laughs> so when it comes to Dave Batista and seeing all the other roles that he's mm. taken on, I mean, look at like something like a uh, uh, Glass. Uh, what is it? Glass. Uh, the second Glass Knives Glass. Thank you. Glass onion. I was saying glass onion and my brain, my brain was telling me I was wrong, but like you look at performances like that and it's like, yeah, we, we could have had Drax the destroyer. Instead, we got Drax the gigantic freaking idiot for the last, <laughs> the le two movies and a Christmas special. And it's like, what happened to Drax? What happened to, you know, the, the awesome version of Drax instead of, oh, Drax is a big old dummy and keeps being called a big old dummy by his friends. It's like, cool. Can, can we have the guy who, literally stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Thanos and didn't blink. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, like, and and I think Gamora in this movie is the closest they've gotten, but I didn't like the sort of, like, prudish, yet also, like, so willing to, like, succumb to... Like, Gamora in the comics, it's like, she is super assertive. She is a sex-positive, strong woman. If she likes you, you'll know she likes you. And, you know, like, but, like, and if she doesn't like you, like, you're not going to get close to her. And she is the deadliest woman in the galaxy. Like, literally, that is the thing everybody knows. Like, people are terrified when Gamora enters a room because that she is just known as someone that can just kill you, you know, like, where you stand. And, like, I wanted that Gamora so badly. And it was just, like, it's, I feel like the the zoe saldana version was so much weaker than that and this movie they finally bring like that up to a you know up to you know more up to that level we're not there but i feel like we had a much more assertive you know strong version of gamora uh in this movie which i did uh which i did appreciate um getting on to gamora now from star lord i can't even remember if i made all my star lord points but uh <laughs> Let's talk about Gamora now, which, like I said, I did appreciate her in this movie, and I felt like they were getting closer to the version of her that I wanted to see. Uh, what did you? How did you feel about Gamora, Ashley? Yeah, I thought her character was handled well in this movie in terms of the Gamora that we have seen in the MCU previously is gone. So this is basically like a new character or an alternate history version of the character, like events branched out in a different way. So I thought they did a good job establishing them as two different types of characters based on those experiences. And it was nice to see that she found her own found family with the mm -hmm. Ravagers. Like she didn't decide to become a member of the Guardians. That wasn't the path for her, but she still found her sense of closure with this other group that felt true, I think. Her ending felt true to the version that we saw in this movie. Mm. All right, Eric, Bothlin Gamora. No, I, I agree with a lot of what Ashley said. And I do love the fact that like it's 
it's cool that you see like um a slight you know an altered version of gamora and it's like yeah the guardians might not be your family but in that literal little like 30 second minute long spot you you see that she does have a surrogate family you see mm. that the ravagers are to her what what some of the other ravagers were to pete in at least like pre-guardians wise when we get to see bits and pieces of that and it's it was kind of cool to see that yeah she's not she's not the gamora that we knew through the first phases of the mcu but she's still a gamora she still has a found family similar to what the guardians have and it's it you know you weren't just seeing like oh she's she's the worst she's terrible it's just like no she's she's still a person she still has this found family and i mean i think the thing that bothered me the most um when it came to gamora in this film is i got real tired of the uh the the joke that they kept referring returning to oh she she's calling him the wrong animal once twice three times four mm. times okay it's been seven or eight times now it wasn't funny the first time <laughs> it's not funny the ninth time can we stop with it please yeah she's not the gamora we need but she's the gamora we deserve <laughs> hey will what do you think about gamora I, I enjoyed that she went off with the Ravagers. I think this goes to show Disney's stupidity when they fired him the first time because we were looking at at the end of Guardians Two and, and Infinity War is getting a Ravagers film. We were getting, I mean, we were getting so much that got delayed because of that th- three months of stupidity out of Disney that they could, and it, it really kind of turned some arcs around. But I think they did it. I think Gunn actually handled her very well. Let her be who she's supposed to be in this universe compared to you know what 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 was and I, I i i regret that we won't have a chance to see more stallone and some of the other characters and her you know out there doing some stuff that would have been fun well hey and i mean well yeah i mean she's been kind of vocal about not wanting to do marvel again but then again you know actors somehow change <laughs> their tune when suddenly five trucks full of cash just come and unload it on support. their front yard <laughs> right exactly and suddenly it's like well you know maybe i could there's, do another marvel there's the movie. i hate my character but i really like that check is what you're talking about yes right so so again it depends on what stories they have that they want to tell and whether or not they feel like Gamora is important. And that might not be, I mean, it might not be, I'm just saying it's not completely no, out of possibility. No, no, no. I'm just making the joke right. because of the vitriol we're getting out of certain right. characters, you know, former Marvel people. Oh, and, and sometimes I'm... though, also a little bit of a gap in time changes their opinion too. Like, right. you know, after they've been away from it for a while, it's like, Oh, you know what? People really liked that character. Maybe I want to play that character again. Well, kind no, of I, I, I'm so, just having yeah. fun because of, like I said, yeah. the vitriol that you're getting out of so many Marvel star, former <laughs> Marvel stars right now about being in them. I'm going, what do you, uh, you know, kick, kick dad after he's cashed the check. I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing I mean, is though, they know that, you know, James is a, is a guy that like, you know, I mean, he connects with certain actors and he'll keep using them like over and over yeah. again. So it's like, they can, they can say all the flack they want about Marvel and he'll give them a cushy gig at DC. Would not be surprised at all. If we see yeah, some of yeah, his is carried some of the franchises, Ashley, I'm just, sorry to interrupt, but she, she's going to end up being a major DC star. Let's just go. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah. I would no surprise there. Right. Yeah, I think both her and Batista will find some work at DC uh, as much as they want. Probably they'll probably get as right. big a role. They'll probably talk with Gunn and Gunn's since Gunn's laying out the whole universe. There are so many open characters that Take they can just pick. write. Exactly. And so it's like when they find something that slots in well, 
I'm sure he'll just be like, you are this person now. You are this yeah, character exactly. from DC and you can milk that as much as you want, you know? So like, yeah. No, I would kill, I would kill to have Bautista take over a certain role in, you know, in the Batman universe, but you know, he's, he said <laughs> that he's aged out, you know? But, right, right. No, I mean, he yeah, that would have been perfect like 10 years ago. He would have right. been the perfect he, Bane. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of mm. like Nathan Fillion with Han Solo. I mean, it's one of those kind of mm. deals that, you know, time messed <laughs> it up, or, but yeah. Eric, that deep groan, that deep groan is, I'm sorry, guys. Bane is a luchador. He's literally of Spanish heritage. He should be played by. Mm. Okay, like, that's fair. Come on. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. Uh, 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 Tom Hardy, fantastic actor. Mm. At the end of the day, that wasn't Bane. But yeah, again, get past all that with you know DC characters. Again, there's just so much that they're gonna be able to have fun with, and all the mm-hmm. guns over D mm-hmm. that he's gonna drag so many stars with him. I don't, I, I, I understand his parting with Disney, but at the same time, after seeing the Russo brothers leave, I'm going, could you not hold on to some directors that actually have some storytelling ability? Because you're, well, we're missing that. We're missing it. I'm not mm-hmm. sure that he parted from Disney so much as he was offered a better game. Because, like, it sounds, I mean, and again, he might just be saying this for the press, but it sounds like he has no, like, hatred. Because uh, Kevin Feige, who's the person he's working with at Marvel, like, apparently was in his corner the whole time. And oh, it was no, just, no. Yeah. I'm not saying he hates them. I'm talking about the fact that they, just, they right. couldn't find a way to, you know, make, the, make, make, make keep these people around. They need the yeah. Russo brothers. Oh, well, I mean, but the thing is, yeah, like, he, he was offered to be in charge of DC. Like, I oh, totally no, again. see that as, like... That's a promotion, dude. Yeah, like, I would take happened. that job. It wouldn't have happened. It, it wouldn't have happened if right. you know if they hadn't fired him initially and mm. all this. I'm saying the chain reactions of you know certain decisions, you know, just start biting you later, and it's going to bite them now because they're losing a yeah. lot of their creative people and impact the story for us as viewers, right? Okay. Honestly, I have no idea what Batista's uh, ancestry is, but I was saying like I was saying like. Him, him, and Eddie Guerrero uh, were were very close friends before Eddie Guerrero passed away. Uh, yes, obviously, for there are people that probably nowadays don't know that Dave Batista was a wrestler. Um, I know, crazy to think uh, <laughs> with how long he was a wrestler. He's probably out of all the wrestling actors, he's probably the best one that you can go. No, this dude's an actor. Um, but no, it's like I guess at the end of the day, if if he had to play a character who's very much rooted in in Spanish and and Mexican and um you know that 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 type of area mm. and obviously like I don't know it's it's a mini rant because it's like at the end of the day yes I understand that some characters change or some characters need to change for adapted media but at the end of the day they've in live action at least they've never been able to get Bane right and it's crazy because you you see that there are wrestlers. You look at something like Lucha Underground, look up a guy named Mel Muertes. That's Bane. That's legitimately Bane in live in live action. So it's insane that they've never been able to adapt this guy properly. Mm. And that's all I'll say about the Bane stuff. But it's like I love Dave Batista. He's just I could never and would never see Dave as unless I'm wrong and Dave does have some some um you know history like you know what i mean yeah spanish ancestry yeah spanish ancestry yeah it's just it's not something i could see dave doing i mean there's other characters i could see him in the dc universe but that's a whole nother 
cannibals. Yeah, yeah, let's not get into that because I mean, then then we also get into like Arnold Schwarzenegger said he's open to do Marvel. So like, there's all sorts of people now. Like, I'll do Marvel. I'll do Marvel. Uh, but anyway. That's all right. It. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about Drax. Um, how did you feel about Drax in this one, Will? Uh, I enjoyed him, but again, I didn't like that they can't make their mind up if he's going to be a joke or he's going to be someone to be taken seriously. So either keep one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that he he was the most unbalanced of all of them, and that the little Drax, the father line at the end was okay, and I, I thought that was a good ending for him. And we, you know, if you know anything about Marvel news, you knew he was coming back. But at the same time, you're going. They just completely got rid of anything that was going on between him and Mantis all the way through the Christmas special and just ended it with no real reason. So, yeah, I uh, I felt like there was going to be some through line with the whole thing with Mantis about like, hey, I shouldn't use my powers on friends. But then we seeing do her doing it like towards the end of the movie where she wipes Drax, you know, because he's like, what, you think I'm an idiot or whatever? And she wipes that from his mind. So I'm like, there is no there never seemed to be any kind of resolution to that. Like she still does that to him. And like, I don't know, I didn't feel like. You know, we really got a good through line. With it. I don't even know why Nebula is like, Drax, I'm going to need you to be like one of like the core people like helping me rebuild. I'm like, really? <laughs> this guy, as you've depicted him, like he's not like really suited for much of anything other than, you know, like fighting. Did you so. feel like they, they 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 missed out on a chance to address the blip with all this? Mm. That there was the, I mean, because, you know, you have Nebula, who's a blip survivor versus peter and the rest of the crew who have been gone for five years so i thought you know this would be a time to address you know what's been happening and why she's in charge they they never address any of that yeah no i agree i mean i think i think as a whole marvel's trying to like stop referencing the blip um but again this was an earlier script that was meant to go in may of 2020 so you feel like like you know maybe there should have been so but maybe that was also material that got cut you know, and, like, so again, like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know, like, Gunn said he didn't change his script at all, but that doesn't mean that, you know, stuff didn't get cut, you know, that was in the script. So, you know, um, yeah, I, yeah, I felt like I would have liked some kind of acknowledgement or development there. Um, right. But anyway, um, yeah, Ashley, what do you think about Drax? Yeah, I think my favorite version of Drax is in the first movie. I feel like the uh, the subsequent movies and appearances didn't like take him seriously enough, so he just kind of comes off a little bit like a buffoon. I thought in the first movie the humor with him, like he was very deadpan, and then the humor came from him saying things that he didn't realize how he was coming off. So it would have been nice to see him taken a little bit more seriously in a movie that was so serious and in the reference to Drax the dad as a parent I would not let him babysit my child so (laughs) there's there's actually other members of the Guardians that I would trust with my two-year-old before Drax so (laughs) he's got he's got some work to do but yeah it would have been nice to see but it was touching to see his emotion um with uh, saying goodbye to Mantis and kind of acknowledging that they are friends and was a nice little touch to see him finally dance to make the kids happy. But mm. yeah, but that made me mad because he doesn't dance. He there's you know there are two types of people in the world you know that whole thing and I was like really having him dance <laughs> changed at the very end. So yeah, yeah I yeah. I think there's there's more they I would have preferred if they would have kept him more like movie one Drax throughout the franchise. Mm. Eric. 
yeah i think at, at the end of the day it would have been kind of cool to see like a uh a uh hold the line moment or a uh I guess uh, as as the uh, stereotype is nowadays, the Hodor moment. Uh, but no, just you know, seeing Drax go full Destroyer, which we really, at the end of the day, we got robbed of. We got teases of it throughout the MCU, but we never, we never really finally got to see a hundred percent Drax the Destroyer. We just heard talk of the legacy of Drax the Destroyer without ever actually seeing full on Drax the Destroyer, which you know us comic book fans, and I mean. Obviously, you, you, you to the older extent, and me to both the old and the newer extent, having seen that version of the character, and it's kind of it's kind of a bummer that we never really get to see it. It is cool that we get to see a different layer to the character in this one, especially the fact that he can speak that language, he can calm those kids down. It was very cool to kind of get to see Dave do something that wasn't. Oh, look at Drax! Drax is such a big dummy. It's like cool. Drax is also a guy that can walk up to these kids and be like, hey, this is what we need from you. And you're going to be safe with us watching out after you. And then, of course, turning around and be in them being angry at him for not telling him they, that he knew the language. But then, of course, it's flat out Drax being like, he didn't ask me if I knew it. Mm-hmm. It's like, good. Drax gets actually one moment where he doesn't have to be the big old dummy. <laughs> and I can I can understand his frustration. And you, it's crazy to think that, you know, he would have somewhere between volumes two and volumes three and obviously the christmas special you would think him and james would sit down and have a conversation about his frustrations and be like hey look at what else i can do and you're just having me play a big dumb idiot because that's i don't I understand of all the characters uh, i think it bounces off what you're saying eric of all the characters the whole lot if he would have been the one to sacrifice himself would have brought him back full circle and put him back on a platform and I thought they'd never even give him a chance to even come close to something like that. Yeah, I actually agree with that. That's what I was thinking when I was like, well, if it's not going to be Peter, it's not going to be Rocket. It like Drax, Drax makes the most sense. And, yeah. and, you know, and, you know, the thing is, like, he's, in a, you know, I was talking about with Warlock and about how, like, with the way they've done the MCU, he kind of doesn't serve a purpose anymore. And it's sort of that way with Drax, because the whole reason for Drax's character, as we're told in the first movie, is he's going to kill Thanos. Well, yes. what what is his purpose when there is no Thanos? They don't even address that. They don't even address like any kind of existential like anything for him. And because like in his confrontation with Thanos, it was such a nothing in Infinity War. To, right? Yeah. And and one of the things that people who don't read comics know is like Drax in the comics, he is empowered by the gods of Titan to be one of the few like beings that can kill Thanos. Like that is his purpose. Like he like Thanos as the Avatar of Death you know, destroy, like, Drax the Destroyer is there as the protector of life. And by that power, he has the power to actually kill Thanos. And so, like, that's, and that's a thing, like, in the comics, like, he actually punched through Thanos and, like, killed him, like, at one point. And and we never get anything like that. We never get a cool thing like that. And he's not an idiot. Like, like the, I mean, there was a time period when they depicted Drax as dumb. It was done differently. Um... And it was more of a tragedy because he suffered brain damage. Um, and that's the reason why he was that way. That they just tried doesn't... to make him the whole version of Guardians of the Galaxy. Was... Right. Like, yes, yeah. he was very yeah. much like that sort of childlike, sort of simple kind of character, but also brutally right. strong um, right. when he was on the Infinity Watch. And like, you know, and I get why they kind of shied away from that. But I don't I don't really like the version they gave us instead, where it's like he's just 
really dumb and can't like tell character cute like you know personal cues from people and doesn't get like humor and it's like i don't know i that, that didn't work for me um and i would have liked the more serious version of drax um i think that that would have been a lot more interesting to work with um but uh but yeah so um let's talk about um let's talk about uh mantis in this before we get to the sort of meteor stuff um Eric, thoughts on Mantis? They didn't really give her a crazy... I mean, looking back on it, they didn't really give her a crazy amount of stuff to do. I mean, you get maybe like an overall 20 minutes of the film where it's like you get a, you get a decent chunk of Mantis, especially with the giant, uh, giant weird alien creatures where she finds out you know the truth about them instead of them being these giant hulkling beasts it's just like yeah they you know just need to take care of them and it's like oh okay but no it's like uh it's it's weird because obviously palm fantastic actress Mm -hmm. but especially like especially since the christmas special it's like for whatever reason, similar to drax this version of mantis has been played up to 11 for the for the um I don't want to say stupidity, but like silliness. But yeah, yeah, the silliness. And it's like like I said, I don't want the Celestial Madonna version that Engelhart became obsessed with in the comics and brought with him for with through four different comic book publishers. That's a whole thing. <laughs> uh anyways, um but uh at the same time it kind of would have been more interesting to see them play the play up the uh, empath parts of her abilities, kind of like have her be like, a, uh, what is um, Beth Troy. from Star Trek, right? Captain Troy. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to mm. say. Play up yeah. that aspect of the character probably would have been a lot more interesting because that's that's what they started doing with her in the Annihilation era of the Cosmic Guardians, it, you know, where this where the version of mantis that we're seeing is loosely based on that was much more what they played with in the comic books and much more of the mantis that i'm used to and like like that's what i would have wanted to see instead of this goofy silly screaming at the camera every two seconds it's like can can we tone her down like take her down to a six instead of an 11 please i mean she palms a fantastic actress i i really love love her as an actress and can't wait to see what she does next with her career but i think a lot of the Christmas special and volume three, the character has gone too silly and too broad instead of like, like I said, instead of kind of like focused in, which I thought would definitely help that character a lot. Yeah, I definitely prefer when they go with a nonviolent solution as just sort of like, you know, like the original Doctor Strange was something that I absolutely like loved with the, you know, I'm here to bargain, you know, like kind of ending where it's not just like how many shooty punchy like power moves can I do? And so like having her like basically like link with those slug creatures and determine that like, oh, like the problem is like they're hungry and they're you know they're they're kept in this state and everything i was kind of like okay i kind of like that but you're right for most of it i she doesn't work for me um uh ashley what do you think about mantis i don't have a lot of thoughts on mantis either one way or the other i think she's fine she's not my most favorite member of the team as as she's portrayed 
So I think her powers are interesting, but it's hard to do stuff with that without either going to one extreme, like making it too silly, or if making it too dark as somebody who can basically manipulate emotions and control people's minds. So I, I, I don't dislike her. She's not my most favorite. So it's, it's fine. So okay. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't really have anything strong to say about it. Just he was in the movie and it was fine. I have no strong feelings one way or the other. Yes. <laughs> All right. Will anything to say about Mantis? I think the only thing that bugged me is that you get the big reveal that she's brother and sister, you know, half brother, half sister with, with Peter. And there's no delivery on that whatsoever. That here she is half celestial, just like Peter. And, we're just going to ignore that for the rest of this movie. And she's not, Peter wants to reconnect with his family, but he's got a sister over here that's leaving and nice. there's no big goodbye moment between the two. I mean, after, after the end of the Christmas special, this is the best Christmas gift present I've ever got. I got a little sister. Okay. But no follow through. So I thought she was just another one of those characters that got left undone. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Rocket now, because, you know, Rocket, like I've said, has been for me, like one of the highlights of these movies, like, you know, the character that's in such pain that tries to hide it. And, you know, all of that, I feel like has been sort of a fantastic, like part of all of these. So, and of course, this movie does focus in on Rocket's past and, and all of that. So, um, and yes, I know there were a few characters I haven't mentioned yet. We'll 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 talk about them at the end. Uh, but but uh, yes, their thoughts on Rocket. Um, uh, Ashley, let's start with you. What what were your thoughts on Rocket in this movie? Yeah, so Rocket is my favorite member of the Guardians, and he's been my favorite since um, Volume One. So I was really pleased to see him get a really deep, emotional, and meaty role to have in this movie and i would say his backstory was like devastating i don't cry in the theater a lot there were yeah, two moments <laughs> that this movie punched me in the gut especially since i just that was the same weekend i had adopted my second cat so seeing like the idea of abandonment in animals and especially since the cat i adopted had been rescued for a shelter like in threat of being euthanized like bring the waterworks yeah just like it just hit me in the feels but um as hard as the animal cruelty was to watch sometimes i think as viewers it's good for us to be made a little uncomfortable because you don't always do something unless something kind of shocks you out of your comfort zone or makes you uncomfortable so i think seeing that just really made us empathize with rocket's character and make us understand why he seems so mean or sarcastic sometimes. It's the defensive mechanisms when you basically, like when he gets put in the cage and the only word he can say is hurts, like, oh my gosh, like just stab me right through the heart. You have this small, this child creature who's just been broken and then the friendship he develops with these other kind of misfit creatures and then they're killed in front of him just like it's really emotionally heavy but i'm i'm glad that rocket did not die because i felt like that would have been too much for us as the viewers and it wouldn't have given us that important emotional catharsis at the end um the grand evolutionary was a really bad guy. I would have been okay with rocket being just like, you know, we're going to eject him out the airlock. Like this guy needs to go. But the fact that he decided not to kill him in the end, like 
just saying like I'm better than you. That is true. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, like he didn't physically kill him, but he he made it hurt. And I feel like the Grand Evolutionary probably deserved that. Oh no, so. he had it coming. I'm not. Yeah. Not yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I feel like um, Rocket was definitely the strong point of this movie to me, and the scenes with him were difficult to watch. Watch, but I felt like were handled respectfully and. Um, was glad to see him become the leader of the Guardians in the end and kind of fully embrace this found family. Like, And I thought it was also a nice moment. Like at the end, he says, I'm Rocket Raccoon because he gets annoyed. All the previous movies, like they call him a raccoon or a trash panda or whatever. But then he sees these other raccoons. He's like, this is who I am. I accept it. I own it in just a point where he's come to like accept and forgive himself. So I think there was a lot of powerful stuff in rocket and that's that's the thing i i take away from this film with me as being the best part was just seeing that rocket story come to fruition and watching what happened with his character will um i i have enjoyed rocket since the beginning i really do feel like they they really try to make this one to make the trilogy his story because outside of peter i think he gets the most character development I mean, if you really look at all the characters, he gets the most. He's right. used, I mean, especially in Infinity War and, and, and Endgame, you really enjoy the progression of his character, especially after Volume 2, because, you know, he, he was such a jerk, and that's why I loved his relationship with Yondu. I love that whole aspect, and then to end it this way, to really show why he was a jerk, why he's all, all these things. I thought it was, I thought it happened well. I thought it was a very balanced end to him, and then he being the, the next leader of the group and trying to take care of, I guess, the kittens. Because it's all of young, just young people who don't know what they're doing. And of course, I love the fact that they kept his relationship with Groot, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, Eric? I completely agree with everything that has already been said. But I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of genuinely curious on the behind the scenes parts of things, how much um, Sean Gunn and, uh, and um, uh, wow, Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper. Thank you, Brain. Yeah. Uh, how much those two have talked because obviously Sean was the onset rocket and Bradley Cooper is the heart and voice of the character. Like, like he's the one giving pathos and voice to rocket. So it's kind of, I'm, I've always been genuinely curious how much those two have talked with how responsible both of them are for, for the character throughout all all four projects or actually all six projects if we're including infinity war and endgame because i mean if you want to talk about the mo like overall one of the most both improved and probably characters that have gotten the most growth from character standpoints it throughout the entire mcu it's rocket rocket throughout every single project he's been in has had had shiny moments and i mean if this is the last time we see him it'll be a bummer but i mean just look at look at where he's at look at how how far he's grown as a character and it's really cool and interesting to see exactly where he's grown how much he's accepted himself and just the just how he's found himself is just this really cool character journey that we've now witnessed through what like uh 10 years of filmmaking at yeah, this point. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, give or yeah. take. It's it's crazy. And I mean, you gotta give credit to obviously Bradley's the voice, but you gotta give Sean just as much credit because he was on every single one of those sets as 
the stand-in for Rocket. He's the one that was reading the lines to the other actors, you know, the the visual that the other actors had to look at. Mm-hmm. So it's like Sean should get get just as much credit as Bradley Cooper gets for bringing that character to life and it's 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 really cool to see what those two dudes have done with with such a uh minute character because what is rocket about two two and a half feet give or take maybe three feet tall <laughs> yeah yeah i no, mean he's, he's very he's short literally yeah. the the best way to describe about to describe rocket raccoon is he's he's macgyver he's you give that you give that rock you give that raccoon a a clip uh, a hair tie and a rubber band and he's gonna make a rocket launcher out of it Mm-hmm. yeah i think my bit like, like i said like my biggest concern or criticism about rocket in this movie is that there wasn't enough rocket and i get that they were trying to cram everything into this movie but i feel like and i realize he's driving the action because he's on the bed and so everybody's like thinking about like they've got to protect him they've got to help him they've got to figure out how to how to how to fit you know and I think, get him healthy and I- I think your criticism is spot on. And I think it goes to when subplots become too much. Mm-hmm. And overall, because we saw that with The Last Jedi, just, you know, there's certain subplots you just know are eating up screen time that could have been used for Rocket and Groot or, you know, Mantis or any of the other character growths that I didn't need to know about this other character journey going on. And to, and to Eric's point, I think it was Eric that made the point that, like, I could have really used a lot less of Gamora, like calling him different. Like if he had been active and up and active, like earlier in the movie and we could have gotten less of the stuff with Gamora, just referring to him as like some other animal or what, again, I think telling his story in flashbacks was good. And, and so I get like them doing it that way instead of him doing like an exposition scene or being like, Oh, I was taken and I was twisted and I had these friends and blah, blah, blah. Like that would have like not worked as well as what they did. But again, I feel like, we could have had him come out of this earlier <laughs> and and gotten to more with rocket having more agency and being able to take you know take more charge like to just show like the progression he's gone through and you know to get him to that confrontation with the high Evo- and spend a little bit more time between him confronting the high evolutionary because i feel like that was so quick that it was just kind of like almost not like you're building up this movie to this confrontation where like rocket is able to we take back it. his agency and it's like it's over almost before it's begun it's like man i i wanted a bigger thing than this out of that um so yeah it just felt kind of jumbled to me because like yeah when you're literally telling us when you're almost looking at the car- camera and going this is rocket story make it rocket story <laughs> you know so yeah i i felt like it wasn't as strong as it could have been uh for rocket and, and that's what i would have wanted more of out of this movie more than anything else um and maybe if we cut out a character like say warlock maybe we would have had more room for rocket <laughs> there's that dead horse ah, beat it again all right all right so let's talk about the high evolutionary um I'm really very curious about everybody's take. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about I I've heard somebody say he's the best villain Marvel's ever done. So I mean we're at that level on one end. <laughs> and and I will say I, I am not knocking the performance um of the of the character. I think the actor milked that script and those lines for everything he could. Um and so and you know, like that. You know, that I am not questioning because I do feel like they got a very good like actor in the role and got a very good performance out of him. Um, but again, I felt like he was kind of one note and one dimensional is my criticism. Um, so um, 
Eric, thoughts on the High Evolutionary? Uh, to the extent that I disagree with you so hard, it's not even funny. <laughs> right, yeah, no, I wanted I, you be the counterpoint. No, it's just, I mean, I absolutely love this actor. He's the best thing about, I, I always know for a fact I would try to, not not even going to attempt to say his name because I would butcher it like right, I was dancing around that but as he was, well. <laughs> he, he's the best part of Peacemaker too in a in a in a project that you know John Cena and all the other character all the other actors were also just as insane but he was the best part of that as well so it's like the second I found out he was cast in this film I got really excited and I'm like oh who's playing and then they were like hey evolutionary and I'm like oh I hate the high evolutionary and then I see this and I'm like oh okay okay I'm for it the, I think the biggest thing that bothers me is, like, it's slightly out of character, in my opinion, for the High Evolutionary to literally destroy his own planet that he built. Like, Counter-Earth has always been a major plot point for the High Evolutionary and its obsession over the perfection of Counter-Earth. Like, that's always been a massive plot point, even in, like, that really weird Spider-Man Unlimited in the early 2000s, that cartoon. Oh, oh don't bring up that cartoon. No, no, I'm just saying, because yeah. he was obviously a major part of that in, like, Counter-Earth, right. and all that was big with him, too. So it's kind of weird to see it as a plot point, is he just goes, oh, no, I'm just going to destroy it, because it's imperfect. It's like... Okay, that's slightly out of character for the High Evolutionary, but in my opinion, just because of the actor alone and his performance, it this is this is the echelon of like MCU villains in my opinion. Like this is where the bar should be set, and I say that as somebody who loved Brolin's take on um on Thanos. Obviously, I mean I've been writing a a sillier version of Thanos for how long where his ego takes over. But no, it's... I don't think he's... I don't think he's one note. I think it's more that, like, the way he's playing it is his ego is so, like, laser-focused on his idea of perfection that anything going on around him, he's blatantly ignoring. He's He's refusing to accept, you know, that that anybody could get around his plots he's that's why he's that's why he's obsessed with getting rocket back is the fact that you know like it's literally like this this raccoon outsmarted and figured something out for me that i should have been able to figure out and that's like what has him incensed and in wanting him to get him back in the first place because his ego doesn't allow him to accept the fact that anybody could be more intelligent than him and basically help what he was the evolutionary track that he was trying to figure out and it's it's just there's so much about how they were playing the character in my opinion um and you know from both a writing and a performance level that that that's why i disagree on the one note thing but i think it's i guess kind of to your point but like and to my counterpoint is like i think his ego is driven by that one note because he's refusing to let any other train of thought kind of like drive him as a character. And I think it's very, very comic book accurate minus the fact that he dest that he literally destroys his own planet, which I thought is very out of character for the high evolutionary. But I think he's, 
out of all the MCU villains that we've gotten, this might be the most comic accurate we've seen one of the villains be so far. And I'm kind of ex- excited to see them use him again at some point in the future because he's he's very much still out there. And he's I don't think he's going to give up. He'll just find a way. Hey, two wor- two words, because they've already been teased. I know the look I'm about to get from Nathan because he knows exactly where I'm going. Wendigore Mountain, my friend. Um, don't give uh, me that look. Uh, God. All right, all right. Well, I will say this one Bova, thing. Bova, man, though. Bova. I, I, I want to say. Uh, all right, I want to say one thing though. Uh, Eric, like so much of your analysis was predicated on like comic book knowledge, and my point is also if you were someone coming in, and I'm going to go to you next, Ashley, because you are coming in with no comic knowledge. You know, I feel like they did not give us enough background on the high evolutionary or enough or enough plot, enough understanding of the character. And so that's part of the problem, I think, is like he comes to me as one note because he comes because remember, these versions are all different from their MC or their comic book counterpart. So it's like I want to know about this version, this version that isn't human, you know, because the, the high evolutionary in the comics is a human who has evolved himself, you know, uh, so like. This this is a this is a different character. I want to know the background of this character, and we get none of that. He just comes in at, I'm just doing this thing, and even though it's problematic and there are a lot of like problems with it, I'm just going to keep on going for that thing. And it's just kind of like we're never given any explanation about this mindset at all. Um, so Ashley, what did you think about the High Evolutionary? Yeah, I would say I would put him in the middle of the Guardians movie villains. Um, Ego, I think, is still my favorite just because, I mean, it's Mm. Kurt Russell. And then just the interesting connection to Peter Quill as the protagonist. And then um, Ronan the Cuser was just kind of forgettable, unfortunately. But he he served his purpose to move the plot along. But um, yeah, I the high evolutionary, the actor, great performance, um, definitely made you absolutely hate him and his character like just what a despicable being and um yeah you were definitely rooting for him to get his comeuppance but i would have liked to see some more background wouldn't even have to be very much maybe just like 10 to 15 minutes more of kind of explaining this character why he is the way he is kind of going into more detail of what his goals are. And I don't think it would have needed too much more, but adding a few more little layers, I think maybe would have helped uh, people who are not as familiar with the original character like myself that are just coming into uh, this movie. And Will? Um, I I know the character only a little bit from comics. I've not, I'm not, no, no deep dive on it. So I agree with all that's being said when it comes to, you know, getting an accurate portrayal. It just came across as a bad James Bond villain where they don't give the reasons why he, I mean, he really did. He's like, I am doing this to save. So this goes back to my lack, the lack of development in all three films is that, well, if high, high evolutionary is so important to rocket story, why don't we hear about this chase that's been going on? Cause apparently he has this obsession of getting rocket back that why is he being pursued in three films by some character, some naive force? Why is that? the fo- This is my problem of tying him into the sovereign. It kind of messed up his, his character. And, and, and so that way, when you get to the evolutionary, you're going, I get him. He's a bad James Bond villain. I, I like that. He's pure evil. He's not, they don't try to do the redeem route. They don't try to make mm-hmm. him morally gray. They don't go any of that. They just go bad guy. 
But at the same time, we needed that just a little bit of a speech about why he's chasing perfection, why he's doing it. what 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 hurt him to turn him to this dark. He didn't wake up one day going, you know what? I'm going to make second earth and it's going to be better. Yes. I mean, he there's a lot of work that's gone into this that they just ignored. Yeah. And like I said before, I feel like there should have been a resolution to like show him like why he was so wrong was because he is corrupt. And that's why right, all his right. work is corrupt. Like, like, because it, it's like you go to this idea of he says, like, well, my creations, like, they've never been able to do independent thinking other than Rocket. Like, they've all been imitators. And like, okay, well, what are they imitating? They're imitating you. And that's the thing that they, they, they somebody needed to show him to show him, like, I, he was wrong and for him to come to that realization. A simple scene of Rocket holding a mirror up to him with his face ripped off. Right. Going, this is why, you know. And that would have given, like, the emotional payoff that I feel like we needed with the character also. And so that was that was one of those things that I was just like, oh, like, like, there were some cool ways they could have gone with that. But because, again, they were cramming so much into this movie, I feel like they just stayed with just like, well, what are the important plot beats? Well, he needs to be defeated. You know, okay, but like, also, though, there's this whole idea of perfection and believing himself to be a god and and you have to like disabuse him of that notion and to show why he never could have succeeded like that's the way to like truly defeat him like mentally like you know a good villain you feel like he can come back right. you know like loki did you know any of any of the thanos any of the good villains can come back i don't feel like there's any way for him to come back like there's there's nothing there for him there's nothing left of him to explore unless we get some sort of backstory film which i don't think would work in the marvel universe so yeah, or we're going to get a long lecture on why certain characters aren't mutants, but they're actually in humans, which I think is what Eric wants, and I don't. Uh- <laughs> did, did I miss a memo? <laughs> well, you were talking about him being, a, you know, because the latest thing in, co- or at least the latest thing I've heard of is him, like the whole thing where they like started retconning a bunch of characters that they're not actually mutants, they're in humans. It was like the high ev- evolutionary was explaining that. And, you know, like, it's like, oh, God, that's like not what I want from him at all. <laughs> We've all agreed that Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are very much mutants again. And that whole retcon thing was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> what are they <laughs> no, well the fandom has agreed marvel hasn't fixed it yet right well actually no they fixed they fixed wanda but i don't think they fixed uh ehr yet they're twins but we only fixed one of them okay um but anyway anyway yeah um Let's talk about uh, sort of the side characters. I'm just going to take these all in one. And I'm sorry, Groot. I know you're a main character of the Guardians, but because your character is basically I am Groot, uh, I'm going to lump you in. We've got Groot. We've got Kraglin. We've got Cosmo. Um, you know, any any other characters you want to talk about? You know, any of the Ravagers? Like anyone else you want to talk about? Um, so, um, Will, is there any other character you want to talk about? Uh, two and i'll make them both brief groot i love kaiju groot i love the exploration of all that i love i thought that was some of the most funny and just good ways of handling the monster side of things i thought that was great i'm interesting to see what his next form is saying rock monster Groot at yeah. the end. um and the other one of course is nathan fillion's character <laughs> yeah. because uh, we've all been waiting on that payoff for so long getting nathan fillion into this universe because he was supposed to be wonder man and guardians 2 and that didn't, you know, that got cut out. And mm. so the nameless security guy number four that Nathan Fillion plays thought that was a funny way of just 
showing that he's just the everyday guy that gets stuck in this universe. So I enjoyed that. All right, Ashley. I mean, I have to mention Groot as well. Just even though he didn't have a lot to do in this movie, it's always a pleasure to see him and especially his friendship with Rocket and also enjoyed um, Cosmo, uh, the space dog, which like if you told me about that beforehand, it's like, this is weird. I don't know if it would work, but yet in the movie it does. So um, I was glad that she finally got to hear that she was a good girl. (laughs) Cosmo does make a brief appearance at the end of um, Guardians 2. Uh, I believe it's Guardians 2. Guardians that, 1. It's Guardians yeah. 1. Okay, yeah, the one with Howard the Duck at the very end and the teaser. Oh, in the collector. It's in the collectors. It's in the collector. He's in, Yeah, she's she's collected. Right. Yeah, because Cosmo is based on the dog that the Soviets launched into space. And the idea is, like, she got irradiated as she went into space and gained superpowers, you know, as she went oh, to space nice. and was later picked up. So, yeah, like, they don't give any of that background in the movie. But just so that people listening to this know, that's the idea. That's why she's called Cosmo, because that's the name the, the Soviets gave her when they launched her into space. So, space dog. Yeah, first I, I really dog in space. That. Yeah. Because as a kid, I remember going to a space museum and seeing about the first dog in space and then learning that they just let the dog die in space. And <laughs> I was so heartbroken. So I like this version much better that the dog went to space, became a superhero and a guardian of the galaxy. So <laughs> right. I, I like that a lot better. Yes. Yes. Uh, Eric, the disrespect to my girl Nebula. How dare you all? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love her too. I am I so sorry. I am so sorry. I, I don't know how I overlooked Nebula. <laughs> Because if it was, yes, this is very much Rocket's movie, but it's mm-hmm. also very much Nebula's movie. The talk about character growth and, you know, just overall giving Karen Gillan something more to work with. It, perfect right there. Because, I mean, Nebula starts off as this one dimensional villain and then throughout throughout everything. And especially now, it's like, no, she's she's the heart of this family. She was keeping everything together, even when... uh. Even when Peter was acting like a complete and utter idiot, she's the one going, "Okay, let's uh, let's save the day here, guys." And it's it's awesome to see, you know, someone go from basically their their surrogate father's lackey to hero of the galaxy. It's it's very cool, and I mean, she also has some of the more fun bits throughout the film. And I mean, yeah, there there's moments where you there's moments where you wince, and other moments where you're like. Oh, she went full full on um master controller on a on a high evolutionary ship with the uh with the let me just stick the uh the the utility uh hand that rocket basically built for her. just stick that right in and I'll control the whole ship. I mean, stuff like that was was awesome. And I mean, I'll, and directly responsible for the uh, first F bomb in a uh, MCU film. Just open the door. <laughs> Yeah, I I am sorry that I forgot about Nebula. So I'll let everybody else give a get a chance with her too. I I mean I do like I do like the fact that also like her her exit point is to build like a community. Um, I think that that makes sense for the character as somebody who grew up in like a really toxic situation and like wanting to make like a place where like people can like live and belong and stuff like that. It kind of, I think, I think it has like an emotional resonance uh, for her. So I think that that worked. I also wanted to shout out for Cosmo because I absolutely love Cosmo, the space dog. There are some idiots online who are taking issue because in the comics, Cosmo is depicted as male, 
uh but uh but the dog is originally but, a girl right dog. right but yes in the history yes the dog that the soviet shot in space is female so yeah it's not comics accurate but you know what this it's is actually, accurate. right I mean... this is actually right yeah this is a, to me that makes no difference for the idea of cosmo the space dog and, that is the dumbest thing i've right? heard on the internet i, mean, I know it really I is and, and you know like i say like sometimes you know like guns jokes go like too far for me but i love the whole thing about good dog and like wanting yes. to be a good dog and like and she's so upset, like she cannot stand it until he says, "You're a good dog." <laughs> I just had me in stitches the whole time because that is so much dog behavior. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, if 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 people really want to go check out uh, Cosmo and Warlock uh, in awesomeness, they can go check out last year's Guardians of the Galaxy game, where they were were both heavily uh, heavily featured and pretty much are comic accurate. And I mean, it's it's another one of those awesome Guardians of the Galaxy adaptions that people can easily go check out. It also features a very fun soundtrack and plays with music in a fun way, similar to what James Gunn does throughout the uh, films. That's all I'll say. If people really have an issue with that in the films, go check out the fun video game. You'll be fine. J just get over it. <laughs> I also have to give a shout out to my boy, Howard the Duck, making another appearance. <laughs> in these movies <laughs> trying to make I, howard happen james i i i, I love that the, the the howard has been in all three of these movies i love that they've given him like a lot more to do in what if and i just keep hoping that he makes the transition into some major appearance in one of the actual because i mean these have all been like little cameos in the guardians movies and i'd love for him to actually like make a difference in like some movie so who knows maybe he'll show up in captain marvel or something and like we'll actually have like a plot role you know sadly his tv show got canceled well yeah but that wouldn't have been that wouldn't have been like in canon with the mcu anyway i'm talking about like something mcu related but um there was going to be an animated show on hulu uh for howard the duck for those who don't right. know um but uh but yeah i'm sorry that i skipped nebula so um will did you have anything to say about nebula um i hope this isn't the end because i love the character hmm. i hope she's in future projects i i haven't heard any bad blood between her and marvel like <laughs> some of the others um some actors know to always keep the bridge open because you never yes. know when you're going to need it. Need that check. I mean, <laughs> you're just going to need that money. So, um, so I, I hope that I, one, I love Karen Gilliam. She's great. Just about everything she's been in. She makes good projects, you know, and bad projects better, you know, like Jumanji and all them. So she just has a way of bringing a life to it. Kind of like Zoe Zadana. I think Zoe Zadana does that as well. And I'm going to miss her. Mm -hmm. sir. I thought they'd handled her story well. She's become space mom to an entire organization of, you know, of lost children. So I think, you know, making her that role fits. I mean, that she really is taking on what Gamora would have been if Gamora, the, the original Gamora would have lived. I, I think that's what it, what's happened. And I think in a good way. So. All right. And Ashley. Yeah. Love her as well. Um, liked seeing where she ended up. And again, kind of like, Gamora, where she's received this, you know, abusive father figure in Thanos, but now is able to find healing and this sense of family. So it was nice to see her. And I also would love to see her pop up in some future Marvel story. Okay. So, you know, one of the big things about these movies have been the soundtracks. And uh, how do you feel about the soundtrack of this movie? So let's start with you, Ashley. 
This is probably my least favorite of the three soundtracks, mostly because of a personal style thing. Like 70s music is my jam. Like I mm. love it. So like the first two soundtracks were just like played on repeat as soon as I um, saw the movie. The songs in here were not just as much to my personal taste. So I feel like that colored my feelings a little bit. I probably won't be getting the soundtrack and jamming to it, but that might just be more because it's not, as much the style of music that I personally enjoy. All right. And Will? Well, um, I enjoyed the soundtrack. I, I agree. It wasn't as touching. I, I don't think the songs connected as well as the first two. However, you know, No Sleep Till Brooklyn was hilarious in the way mm-hmm. it was used. That that, that was, was good. That was, a, that was one of the few spot-on songs. But I agree with you completely that, it, you know, the first two volumes had much to do with, you know, Peter and his mom's connection. And yeah. then when you get this third one, then there's no connection to the music. So mm-hmm. other than it's what everybody likes to Peter to do. But again, I'm going to give James Gunn some credit. Thank you for adding that because it, it gave us a good scene in Infinity War with, you know, Rubber Band Man. And yes. you know, he, he, the, the, way they, the way they use music now, for better or for worse, has a lot. I mean, Thor Ragnarok borrowed heavily from that you know, with that idea. And so too much so, <laughs> so <laughs> they, i don't want everybody to do it but I, i'm glad that some people have thrown some you know the modern music and had some fun with it so yeah yeah no i mean like yeah the, the music's never connected with me as much as it has with other people anyway and so like yeah, i mean i was kind of i was okay with it especially because it's like peter's thing right and i mm-hmm. get that they were like going forward in time with this is sort of a deliberate choice because peter is also moving forward in time and that sort right. of like you know the point of the movie at the end is like he's now moved forward with his life and so he's going to listen to music from like a later you know period of time and so i mean i get thematically what it's doing but it's not it's not a big part it didn't have the heart it didn't have have the heart Mm -hmm. right Mm yeah exactly uh i mean again again the occasional song yeah i mean other than the occasional song they didn't have the heart you know Mm -hmm. Uh, so final question, uh, you know, again, we, I mean, Gunn's been clear this for him is the end of the Guardians, but doesn't mean that like any of the characters won't, you know, appear again. We're told specifically, you know, Star-Lord will return. Uh, like I say, at the very least, I'm sure that that Secret Wars, whether or not they have another project like a Disney Plus show or if he guest stars in you know, like a, somebody else's movie or whatever, who knows? um but uh but Kang yeah. dynasty yeah I mean. right could be in Kang dynasty although there's been an argument that's been made for me that Kang dynasty is actually going to be a secret young avengers movie because it since it you know Kang is a time traveler like we'll actually skip forward to them being the avengers hmm. and so like so that might be what that one is about um but again i have no idea we'll, I mean, right and so we'll see i mean we'll see i'm just saying like that could be where we finally get the young avengers i kind of like that idea um but uh but anyway um do you have any specific things you definitely would like to see in the future from any of this cast not just be like like even pie in the sky zoe saldana dave batista come back is there something you want from gamora and drax so uh will anything you would want to definitely see from any of these characters Oof. They tied them up a lot of them so well um i would love to see nebula come back i really do want i'd like to see her back with rody I'd like her to be, mm. you know, I would like that. I was, sh- if I'm shipping any, any two, it's those two. I thought they had a great connection. I thought that would be a lot of fun for those two to, I, for the cosmic side of Marvel. I just hope that, that they keep, they keep her right. They do that well. And I wouldn't mind seeing that new Guardians team. I mean, uh, Pie in the Sky hopes that, 
because it didn't have any big names that we have to worry about, you know, egos and age or whatever. It's a bunch of voice acting and a couple of younger stars. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind seeing that new Guardians team do some fun stuff. All right, Ashley. So, yeah, I would like to see them um, kind of be able to pick and choose some of these Guardians characters with the actors who are willing to come back, as long as it would fit seamlessly into a story. But I wouldn't mind seeing like Peter Quill in a story or Nebula in a story. Um, I would love to see like an animated uh, new Guardians of the Galaxy. Like I'm just in love with like the animation style of Into the Spider-Verse and um, what if I would love to see more stories told in an animated form. And I think that could be a, a cool way to do it. But yeah, particularly would like to see um, Nebula and Peter again, because I feel like there's a little more story they could tell with those characters. Hmm. Yeah, I I would like to see uh, the new team again mm-hmm. it doesn't mean they need a movie like again if they yeah. do anything like they could show up in a captain marvel movie or if they do silver surfer or star jammers yeah. they could show yeah. up uh you know in, in a different movie and you know it would be nice to see them again uh like i said i don't know what emotionally we're gonna get from peter i i really think that in the future we're just going to get like a cameo mm-hmm. in some movie or you know like maybe even a major part in secret wars but he's going to it's going to be part of like well, we need mm-hmm. to do this thing. And like, Peter's going to be the one doing the film. Like maybe he needs to go in somewhere and steal something or something. And he and like, maybe Ant-Man will team up to like steal something, mm-hmm. you know, something along those lines. Yeah, just more like, lighter. You know, like, right. A lighter thing, more of an action-y kind of thing. I don't think we have anywhere really like emotionally to go with his character at this no. point. And it's going to be something like that. But seeing Rocket as the leader of a Guardians team, I feel like that would be kind of cool. Or checking in on Nebula, I think that would be kind of cool. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I really care to see um, Drax or, um, you know, Gamora or Mantis again, like, just because of the way they're depicted. Like, I I don't think I really need to. I think those are the characters I'd like to revisit. But I don't have any strong feelings about it either, like, as far as, like, what I want them to do or anything so like if if this ends up being the end you know it feels like okay i mean this is this is the end of these characters other than star lord who we know it's going to appear in something i'd rather see more of the ravagers honestly i mean uh, yeah yeah, I think yeah that they, would they be fun actually open the door to a lot of fun there yeah i i just feel like there are established marvel properties that could serve that role that would work better <laughs> <laughs> like i said you know like we already have like other space teams and things in marvel comics that you don't need to have something like the ravagers which is like such a creation of james gunn uh you know to do like you know sort of space sort of you know outlaw kind of you know storytelling but right but anyway uh, so yeah, guys, thank you for doing this. It was a lot of fun. Um, sad that Eric uh, didn't get to do those last two questions, but uh, glad that you guys were able to to stick around, and do the full thing. Um, and so yeah, let's say our goodbyes. Let people know where or if they can find you. So starting off, let's start with you, Will. <laughs> you can't find me. No, uh, occasionally check out mil- <laughs> Military Sci-Fi. Um, I'm doing some stuff with that. I've got a you know show coming up with them for Virtual Dragon Con coming up. Mm. check me out you know with nate i'll always you know drop everything to be on nathan's show because we always have a lot of fun and that's it that's where you'll find me all right and ashley 
Um, yeah, you can find me podcasting with the Earth Station One crew about movies. Uh, we talked about recently the Guardians of the Galaxy and movies throughout the summer. So yeah, they're a great bunch of folks. So I enjoy chatting movies with them. But it's always nice to visit other parts of the ESO station as well. Say goodbye and let people know where they can find you. All right. Sorry for the abrupt ending, internets. You can easily find me. Just look up Eric Radcliffe on Twitter, and I'm right there. And then you can find everything else through there, pretty much. And I gotta go put out some metaphorical fires. Yay! All right, take care, Eric. Metaphor. <laughs> Good having <laughs> you right, on the guys. show. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, and Ashley and Will, it was great having you on the show this week. Thank Thanks you so much. And that's a wrap on our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 episode. So what did you think? How do you think Marvel Phase 5 is going in general? What do you like about the topics that we discuss? You can let us know in a lot of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our website, 42cast.com, and leave us a message there. Or you can go to Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. Or you can go on X or Instagram at 42cast and send us messages there as well. So there's a lot of different ways of getting a hold of us. You can also leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts, and that is very helpful because the more reviews we get, the more Apple will promote the show and people do searches. So we'd really appreciate if you could do that. Or the other way that you can help the show is to go to the ESO Network Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash ESO Network. You can see the different rewards that you get for different tiers. You can get early episodes of the ESO Network podcasts. You can get exclusive episodes of the ESO Network podcasts. And there are even whole podcasts that are exclusive to people who contribute on Patreon for certain tiers. So if that sounds like something that you could do, if you would uh, be able to help us out, we would definitely appreciate it. You can also find me on two other podcasts. You can find me on Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I are talking about all of Doctor Who from the beginning. You don't need to purchase the episodes to follow along with us. It certainly helps if you do have a way of following along, but she and I explain everything about the story in the episode where we discuss it. So if you just want to hear us banter, and if you just want to learn a little more about Doctor Who, you can do it that way, or like I said, you can follow along with us. So once again, that is Time Streams. The other show is Legendary Forces, where Juliet and I again, but also joined by Joe, Ashley, and Corey, are going through all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning. So that's everything that actually takes place in the Star Wars universe. When I say media, I'm not including, and this is why I say fictional, we're not including things like fanzines, magazines, things, documentaries, things that were actually about Star Wars. We're talking about things that happen inside the Star Wars universe. So movies, TV shows, comics, novels, all that kind of stuff. So if that sounds interesting to you, that is Legendary Forces. In personal news, Beth and I are now watching through all of the Muppet show I know that might sound strange to some people. I actually have a lot of fondness for the Muppets, but it kind of goes in spurts where I'll kind of remember the Muppets and then suddenly be really into the Muppets for a while, and then it will sort of like just die away. So I have not ever seen the Muppet show in its entirety. I grew up, of course, watching the Muppet show, and I have seen the odd episode here and there over the years, but I thought it would be kind of nice after we watched the Electric Mayhem series on Disney+. Plus. I was like, you know what, they have the Muppet Show on here, so Beth and I are watching through all of that from the beginning. We're still watching Clone Wars. We're actually watching an anime that's a reboot of the Space Battleship Yamato series, so uh, we're watching the second season of that right now. That's a really cool show, having a lot of fun with that. If you like Yamato, 
you'll probably like the reboot. It is very well done, and there is a lot of respect for the source material, which I really appreciate in a reboot. While they also make it different enough that if you've seen the original, it isn't just like, oh, I've, I've seen this already, it's just got updated animation. So I definitely give that a recommendation if you're into that. If you've never seen anything Yamato-related, I would still suggest watching the original show, which is a bit harder in the U.S. because the original anime was never brought over. There was sort of um, an 80s, late 70s, 80s dub. If you know anything about anime, you know that like anything that was done in that time period was heavily edited, and they changed the dialogue extensively, so I'd never recommend that. But if you can get your hands on a fan-subbed version of the original series, that's what I watched, and it is really, really good. Don't be turned off by the fact that it's old. It is actually really, really good. So yeah, I definitely recommend giving that a try. But yeah, otherwise, not too much else going on. I can't really think of anything else. We're going to start watching Loki soon. Loki season two, because I like to wait until the show is almost released, so then just binge through it. Yeah, otherwise, look out for me at Chicago TARDIS. I will definitely be there again this year, and otherwise, not too much else to report. So that's a wrap for this week. Join us back next week when Martin Scorsese will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan, signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast, copyright 2023. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.